Welcome to Close the Door and Come Here, a Song of Ice and Fire podcast with heavy leanings towards our two favorite characters, Jamie and Brienne. Hi, I'm Lot, the Lady of Tarth on Twitter, joined with Chicky. Hey, I am Chicky. I'm at the Chikrin on Twitter. And Clotho. Hi, I'm Clotho, and you can find me at Clotho Spindle on Twitter. Excellent. Um, thank you all for joining us for the re-re-read of uh, Brienne uh, 4 from A Feast for Crows. Um, for anybody new, we spoil everything. And I think just to start us off, we're going to maybe talk a little bit about the Emmys because they just happened right after the night preceding this recording. Um, and we have a message from Guile from Tumblr, and she says, So... What did you guys think about Nikolai Coster-Waldo and Gwen's Jamie Brienne wedding cosplay at the Emmys? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I suppose for posterity, we should say what it was. We're talking about the 2019 Emmys um, after season eight, after Game of Thrones is over. And uh, Nikolai wore a, a tux with a gold jacket and Bri- <laughs> Brienne. Gwen wore this. Um, <laughs> Kind of like, I don't know what it's supposed to be. Is it like a, a Roman toga kind of send up or something? Yeah, totally had a Roman vibe. Well, Italian. Yeah. It was Versace, right? Yeah. <laughs> it was Gucci. But it's like Gucci. red and white and gold with golden lions all over it. It was very clearly a tribute Honestly, to. Honestly, when I saw, first saw it, the first thing I looked for was lions because I could see all those little like metal pieces on it. And in the middle, I looked at the middle. I'm like, okay, there's no lion there. <laughs> Like everybody pretty much zeroed in right away on the little lions, like on the sleeves. There is one in the middle, though. It's a guy who's wearing a lion skin with a lion head in the middle. What? It's just I just saw a dude. I didn't look. I didn't look any further than that. I mean, she kind of wins for (laughs) that dress because, like, everything was about her dress, like all the memes. Yes. (laughs) Yeah. She's giving fans what they want. Compared to uh, Jesus, Jesus. like in the Last Supper (laughs) painting and stuff. There's like all these memes of her walking on water in front of the Last Supper table. (laughs) (laughs) It was pretty great. (laughs) I mean, totally intentional, right? Like, there's no doubt. Sure, for sure. I don't know. There's a there's an interview with Nikolai where somebody's like asking him, "Oh, I know why you did gold," and he's like, "Oh yeah, Lannister gold." And the person was like, "No, Emmy gold." <laughs> it's like, so I think they might have done it intentionally oh, just yeah. to kind of be a Lannister thing. I don't know. I mean, if Gwen, if Gwen wasn't intentional with it, that's a weird that's a weird accident. I think it was intentional. Yeah, it's too <laughs> obvious. Yeah, the lines <laughs> and the colors. So she married Jamie and Brienne at the end. <laughs> I love her for it. Like, I really do feel like that was to us. <laughs> I'm sorry. I'm taking it personally too. in a good yeah. way. Yeah. I think it was. I'm pretty sure it was. I think it was both of them giving us one last little message. Well, it is much appreciated. Okay. 
Um, let's see. Oh, one more thing, though, before we get into this chapter. I was uh, preparing for the podcast while I was kind of like having the Emmys on in the background. And so I'm in the middle of this Brienne chapter. And then they bring out the whole cast right onto the stage to acknowledge, you know, Game of Thrones for all that it was, whatever that may be. <laughs> and uh, they go down the line and they each get their little line and they uh, get to Gwendolyn. And I was so like, in th- just so pleased for her to hear like the the crowd. They loved her like yeah. audibly. It was the biggest applause. And I yeah, just... I have to say the entire main cast was on the stage, and yet Gwen was the one who got by far the biggest pop from the crowd. It was yeah. really... no question, no question. It was considering oh. she didn't win an Emmy. It was mm-hmm. it was good. She at least got that, and that she had to nominate herself, right? Yes. I mean, clearly that's the horse they should have been putting their money behind. <laughs> well, one other thing we should say is that um, in the beginning, like montage of the whole show, they showed the Jamie Brienne nighting scene. They were just talking about how great TV has been lately, like TV in general. They showed the Jamie Brienne nighting scene and then they let Nikolai's dialogue from as he's nighting her kind of play over some other scenes from other shows. I mean, it was really cool. <laughs> Oh, I want it. I want a do over. <laughs> oh. uh, if only there was a petition to sign. No. <laughs> oh, God. <laughs> All right. Enough. Are, are we good about the Emmy talk? Anybody want to? Yes. Yeah. All right. Oh, wait, one more thing. <laughs> how how happy are we that D&D did not win directing or writing? Oh. We're pretty happy, right? Yes. <laughs> but the show still won, which I guess was kind of a given, but... Uh. Eh, I know. I mean, I try not to focus too much on, well, D&D, but all the other people so involved watch, that so do was, deserve it. So who else won? Was it the show and Peter? Or who? Did he win or no? Yeah, yeah. Peter Dinklage okay. won. Okay. And I think Ramin Jawadi had won earlier for um, music oh, stuff, well, score. Yeah, music stuff, good. score. Yeah. I know what it's called. <laughs> uh... I can't. Anyway, okay, let's go. Let's go into this chapter. I promise I will not interrupt myself again. Um, So we have Brienne, Pod, and Nimble Dick uh, traveling together. Brienne doesn't trust uh, Nimble Dick at all. She's thinking that he's probably showing his true colors when one day Pod yells at him as he's rummaging through her bags. He tries to win her over with song, but Brienne is not moved. And Pod is too tongue-tied to join in. So it's kind of like painting this scene that (laughs) these guys are traveling together. And I think uh, Nimble Dick is trying to make light of the journey. And Brienne's totally not getting attached to this guy. Um, She thinks of Lady Catelyn when she asked her if she had sung for her father. And she also asked, did you sing for Renly? And Brienne has this thought she had wanted to. One of my favorite lines. Oh, my God. Yeah, I just I feel like maybe Catelyn must have overheard her humming at some point, because like, who asks that? (laughs) Well, it's kind of a thing that ladies do, I think. Sing. Sing for their father. Sing for the halls. But I don't know, just thinking about Brienne and having that thought that she had wanted to. It makes me wonder if Brienne can sing. I think she can. If, that would be kind of cool. Like, that would be nice, you know, as opposed to, oh, you know, just adding. It's a nice contrast. 
Yeah. Or a sad thought. Maybe she had wanted to, but like everything else, she felt like she had shortcomings there too. I don't know. Just yeah. just to go dark for a like minute. Maybe, yeah. Maybe she. I mean, that's the thing. Maybe she never yeah. really tried, or you know. Well, that yeah. It's you know her insecurity. I mean. Oh God, it's t- like it's one of the toughest things about uh, her character is it's like she's you you're watching her slowly realize how hard she's fallen for Jamie mm-hmm. at the same time mm-hmm. as you're watching her relive all the reasons that she has like no confidence about ever having anything with anyone romantically and it's just the most heartbreaking thing. Mm. So. <clears throat> Brienne listens to Nimble Dick's tales of local heroes of the area, thinking every place has their legends. And she thinks of the ones of where she's from, and it's Sir Galadin of Morn, the perfect knight. The maiden herself lost her heart to him, gifting him a perfect sword, the just maid. The sword was so perfect, it was unfair to use it in battle. And this makes uh, Nimble Dick laugh, you know, because, like, what's the point of having a, such a special sword if you're not going to use it? And she replies, honor. Uh, Nimble Dick says if Galadin had met Sir Clarence Crabbe in battle, his head would have been on his shelf saying, I should have used the magic sword to all those other heads. <laughs> <laughs> And this makes Brienne laugh. <laughs> or smile. She couldn't help but smile at that comment. <laughs> they talk more of the histories of the area. Aegon and his sister, uh, Visenya, and the lords that bent the knee. Crab adds, we're all good dragon men up at Crackclaw Way. They sleep that night in a hay, uh, hay barn, and Brienne pulls the ladder up so that she and Pod are, you know, up top, and Crab's kind of all down by himself alone and uh, he complains a little bit saying you know it's gonna rain and i'll be all down here all cold and then i just picked out a little passage to read brienne thinks she wasn't always so mistrustful of men but her scepter royal helped reinforce it scepter royal had lifted the scales from her eyes they only say those things to win your lord father's favor the woman had said you'll find truth in your looking glass not on the tongues of men it was a harsh lesson, one that left her weeping, but it had stood her in good stead at Harrenhal when Sir Hyle and his friends had played their game. A maid has to be mistrustful in this world, or she will not be a maid for long, she was thinking as the rain began to fall. In the melee at Bitterbridge, she had sought out her suitors and battered them one by one, Pharaoh and Ambrose and Bushy, Mark Mullendor and Raymond Nayland and Will the Stork. She had ridden over Harry Sawyer and broken Robin Potter's helm, giving him a nasty scar. And when the last of them had fallen, the mother had delivered Connington to her. This time Sir Ronnet held a sword and not a rose. Every blow she dealt him was sweeter than a kiss. Loris Tyrell had been the last to face her wrath that day. He'd never courted her, had hardly looked at her at all, but he wore three golden roses on his shield that day, and Brienne hated roses. The sight of them had given her a furious strength. She went to sleep dreaming of the fight they'd had, and of Sir Jamie fastening a rainbow cloak about her shoulders. <laughs> hmm. She got it bad. <laughs> There's so much there. I mean, like, number one, God, her fucking septa just is such a nightmare. Yeah, she's the worst. She, ugh. Ugh. I mean, it's like, yes, on one hand, obviously, 
she did need to be told about, you know, men flattering her for the wrong reasons. But like, yeah. do you need to do it that harshly that she feels like this? She's just a mean, bitter woman, like just a nasty woman. What the hell happened in her life to make her so yeah. crappy? She ended up a septa, I guess. <laughs> She's, She's pissed about, about it. <laughs> yeah. I mean, name. then you get the cool stuff with Brienne getting her own revenge. I mean, this, this is why Brienne is so amazing. God, she just fucking destroys all these guys who, like, mocked her and laughed at her and rejected her. Like, it's, it's, it's like George, like, kills you one paragraph and then he gives you a little bit of catharsis in the next. Yeah, a little bit of a sweet victory in a way. <sighs> So see, in the morning, it is raining yet, and it continues to all day. Uh, Dick Crab is shivering, and Brienne feels a moment of pity for him. Um, they are forced to make camp along some rocks 50 yards above the tide line. Crab tells them they best keep watch tonight. A place like this, there might be squishers. And I couldn't resist. I just had to select a bit about squishers. <laughs> I was thinking you'd like this part. I was like, oh, I know. <laughs> Lot's going to read this. <laughs> Squishers, Brienne gave him a suspicious look. Monsters, Nimble Dick said with relish. They look like men till you get close, but their heads is too big. And they got scales where a proper man's got hair. Fish belly white they are, with webs between their fingers. They're always damp and fishy smelling, but behind those blubbery lips, they got rows of green teeth sharp as needles. Some say the first men killed them all, but don't you believe it. They come by night and steal bad little children, padding along on them web feet with a little squish-squish sound. The girls they keep to breed with, but the boys they eat, tearing at them with those sharp green teeth. He grinned at Podrick. They'd eat you, boy. They'd eat you raw. So creamy. <laughs> Wasn't it Eon who said that these are based on something from Lovecraft? I feel like Eon had a lot of squisher knowledge. <laughs> the previous chapters that we've read with uh, when we've done our first read of this. Yeah. I, I, I mean, I've never read any Lovecraft, but I'm pretty sure that that I'm pretty sure this is this is a send up to something for, that he did or I don't know. Yeah, it's so very specific. It sounds like it could be. George does this a lot. I mean, like just the paragraphs that you read before this about who who Brienne beats up at the melee. I mean, like there was a a joke in there about Harry Potter winning the uh, stupid um, Hugo Award oh when Storm God. of Swords was supposed to. Oh my gosh, that's a little petty, George. <laughs> well, that's George. Yeah. But he puts a lot of tributes and petty shit and all kinds of stuff in sometimes. And there's a there is a, there there are many things that are kind of send ups to um, other genre stuff that he loves or hates, I guess. <laughs> See, so Nimble Dick continues to tell his tales. Brienne thinks he you know can tell a lively tale. Soon uh, he and Potter asleep. Brienne keeps watch, but she's tired and nods off twice. The second time she wakes up with a start, thinking someone is watching her. She wishes Jamie was with her. But no, 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 not Jamie. Renly. She wants Renly. Yeah, Renly. (laughs) Yeah, she has like a sad moment where she thinks about how she failed Renly and then Catelyn. Um, Let's see. So the next day, the rain lessens and they reach a wind-carved cliff. 
Um, above them is a castle, um, the Dire Den House of Lord Brune. Brienne asks how they are to get up there, and Dick leads and tells them to watch out for squishers. On their ascent, he points out shapes in the cliffs, uh, you know, an ogre's head here, a dragon with a broken wing and boobs. <laughs> One of them are literally boobs. <laughs> As they ride, they spot a rider. Brienne looks suspiciously at Crab. Um, he's, he's like, you know, don't look at me. He's, I don't know who this guy is. Uh, he thinks that might be one of, he says it might be one of Brune's men or maybe a singer. Not a squisher, though. They don't ride horses. They ride, <laughs> they ride on reaching the castle walls. A face peers down at them and it looks like a woman. Crab agrees. All the men are at war. He doesn't want to stay there long, though, and he says, even a wench can wind a crossbow. Mm -hmm. He tells Brienne there are no more roads, but no worries, he knows these parts pretty well. Brienne, again, suspicious of him, thinks that, you know, he's luring her into a trap. Um, she turns towards the pine to follow Crab. And the pines are as creepy, creepy as hell, <laughs> you know it's a bad place here and he he's worried about the squishers and talking heads of crab stories so i i really love the description in these yeah. paragraphs it's just deliciously creepy and gloomy and yeah almost yeah. like a sensory deprivation kind of experience or otherworldly it's it sounds creepy but pretty you know it's kind of this just the pines and the darkness and the silence. Like yeah. they talk about how the sound doesn't even travel the same. Yeah. So you wouldn't even know what was, mm. who was coming up on you. That's the, ugh. yeah, because of the pine needles on the, yeah. on the ground. Yeah. And it's sad because there's moments where, you know, you see th sort of throughout where she's, you know, sort of having those, you know, trying to get sort of human connection with crab, but then kind of, kicking yourself reminding yourself okay i have to be careful and you know because he could be you know we don't know either as readers and he could be sketchy well yeah i think the entire time i mean it's it's pretty heavy-handed the way george uh, makes you suspicious of crab because yeah. brianne is so suspicious of crab well and i think uh, it's one of those things where there's a reason to be suspicious of him yeah. <laughs> i mean like he is. He did go through like her saddlebags, and you know, I mean, like he's clearly not known for having a great reputation. And he admits to her that he led some other, you know, travelers astray. So there is reason, yeah. but it, it's George playing with that. You know, there's good and bad in mm -hmm. in people, and and sometimes, you know, Just how dark are the, his shades? Really? Yeah, they're they're dark, but how dark? <laughs> um, let's see. Uh, they make camp and ride on again through the pine woods. The ground is soft and their path seems meandering. Brienne is exhausted and her patience is wearing thin. She thinks Dimbledick could be plotting their murder on this ground he knows so well, taking them to some robber's den or to kin as treacherous as he. Or he could be leading them in circles, allowing that rider following them to catch up. Uh, she thinks she may have to kill Dick, a thought that made her queasy. And I just can't help it. I just love this little moment where we get her recollecting um, uh, 
her master at arms. Mm. Her old master at arms had always questioned whether she was hard enough for battle. You have a man's strength in your arms, Sir Godwin had told her. Goodwin had told her more than once, but your heart is as soft as any maid's. It is one thing to train in the yard with a blunted sword in hand and another to drive a foot of sharpened steel into a man's guts and see the light go out of his eyes. To toughen her, Sir Goodwin used to send her to her father's butcher to slaughter lambs and suckling pigs. The piglets squealed and lambs screamed like frightened children. By the time the butchering was done, Brienne had been blind with tears, her clothes so bloody that she had given them to her maid to burn. But Sir Goodwin had his doubts. A piglet is a piglet. It is different with a man. When I was a squire young as you, I had a friend who was strong and quick and agile, a champion in the yard. We all knew that one day he would be a splendid knight. Then war came to the stepstones. I saw my friend drive his foeman to his knees and knock the axe from his hand. But when he might have finished, he held back for half a heartbeat. In battle, half a heartbeat is a lifetime. The man slipped out his dirk and found a chink in my friend's armor. His strength, his speed, his valor, all his hard-won skill. It was worthless than a mummer's fart because he flinched from killing. Remember that, girl. I mean, this is this is this is a chapter that's full of a lot of the kind of um, you know dichotomy of Brienne, the the feminine side and the masculine side kind of at war with each other, and this is a really good example of you know why Brienne um, may not have originally been <laughs> suited by nature to this 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 warrior life that she's living. Um, but how hard she worked to get there. I mean, like, you know, it's not just the the training, you know, as far as learning how to use the sword and fighting and everything. It's like she's actually had to retrain her mind and and kind of make herself more callous. And it's sad and beautiful at the same time. Yeah, that's really a nice summary of what's all. I just love her so much. How can you not? Oh, I, I don't know. <laughs> I, I don't want to know those people who cannot. I don't either. <laughs> so the next day they come across an old castle and Nimble Dick tells them to listen. And Pod says, I hear them. Bran realizes that, you know, it's probably not talking heads, but the wind from the sea as it moves through the holes on the cliff. And Bran stands near the ridge to kind of take a look out. And Nimble Dick comes up behind her and puts his hand on her back and points at an old beacon tower. Brienne steps back and tells him to keep his hands off her. Um, They try to find a way inside and Brienne quickly realizes that someone else has been there recently. She tells Crab to follow her and Pod to guard the horses. As she pushes through a door, the hinges shriek loudly, making her hair stand on end. She has a thought she can hear the heads whispering. I should have used the magic sword. She tells Pod to grab the sword wrapped in her bedroll. I really love this part on the reread. Yeah. I didn't I didn't really pay attention or catch it, you know. Like there was something it felt like otherworldly that yeah. she just had that pause, get your sword, you know, and get the, the magic to the sword. Magic sword yeah. Yeah, well, and the the werewoods um, kind of overgrowing the castle. Like, everything about it is kind of creepy and spooky and the whispers. Um, and then she's she's hearing this <laughs> whisper, which is really Dick Crab saying, you know, like, 
use the magic sword. I mean, like, oh, God, this is so amazing. And especially when you know the Galadin of Morin thing about, you know, only using the sword three times. Mm. Mm, chills. Crab asks why she needs a sword. She already has one in her hand, and then she gives it to him and says, this one is for you. Crab is hesitant to take the blade at first, and Brienne asks, you do know how to use one. And he responds, I'm a crab. I got the same blood as old Sir Clarence. Podrick returns with Oathkeeper, and Dick gives a whistle at the sight of it. Brienne gives the air a cut, and it even sounds sharper than any ordinary sword. Brienne Brienne and Crab make their way into the ruins, and the place is overgrown with tree saplings, and there are collapsed stone walls everywhere, um, stairs leading down into the earth. Um, there's also an old weirwood tree. Nimble Dick calls out with a, hello, anyone here? I'm like, god damn it, shut the fuck up. <laughs> uh, Brienne tries to quiet him, but to no avail, he calls out, hello, again. And then it turns into like a horror show as men like start emerging from bushes and trees and wells. Uh, Brienne calls for Dick, but Shagwell drops from the weirwood dressed in his motley morning star in hand, which he uses to smash into uh, Dick's uh, kneecap. He pleads with Shagwell. Brienne tells him to leave Crab B. Shagwell brings the weapon down on Nick's head. And then the man from the well, Timian, laughs at Brienne when he sees her face, taunting her that she dreams of him and she wants him. And they're quite disgusting here in this bit with their taunts and threats. Did, Brienne, did we do our standard uh, rape oh, right. warning for this? Yeah. Because, God, these guys. I did not. And now would be the time. They're gross. Yeah. Yeah, get out now. Um, trigger warning for rape. Um, yeah, they're they're taunting her with with rape because she escaped them. They, these are some of the bloody mummers. She escaped them, and um, Shagwell is one of the three who came to rape her the one night when Jamie yelled out sapphires. So this is a kind of a, a revisiting of a terrible nightmare for her. Yeah. Um. Brienne knows that there are only three of them because of what Crab had told her earlier. Um, Timian tells her that the bloody rummers all went their separate ways after Heron Hall, Forge to the salt pans, Urswick to Old Town. Um, they went to Maiden Pool but couldn't catch a boat. Vargo, of course, died at Heron Hall, the mountain cutting him up piece by piece. Yeah, but Brienne because, tells- because Brienne bit his ear off and it got infected, mm-hmm. that's literally what mm-hmm. took him down. <laughs> Love it. Yes. Yeah. <laughs> Again, one of those moments that George does give us. <laughs> I mean, Jamie was supposed to tell her this because Jamie thought it was funny. He's like, I can't wait to tell her, but he never did. Aww. <laughs> uh, see, Brienne tells them she's not here for them. She's looking for a fool with Lord Stark's, da- Stark's daughter. Timian tells her it's the hound she wants. He heard it from one of Barrington Darien's men. Brienne realizes Timian is trying to distract her. Uh, we have Pig and Shagwell, uh, who have edged closer. They threaten her with rape again. Timian tells her they just need gold for the smuggler and tells her to drop her pretty sword. Brienne asks, and if I give you gold, you'll let us go? We will, Timian smiled at her. Once you've fucked the lot of us, we'll pay you like a proper whore, or they'll just take the gold and rape you anyway. Do her like the mountain did, Vargo. What's your choice? 
Brienne answers by attacking Pig, Oathkeeper cutting through leather, wool, skin, and the muscle of Pig's leg. She then finishes him off by stabbing him through the throat. She has a moment thinking, I did not flinch. Isn't it ironic his name's Pig? Yeah. (laughs) Uh, See, Timian and Shagwell then argue on who should attack her. (laughs) I kind of like this. This is why we're like, you get her. No, you get her. (laughs) No, death is coming. Anyway, Brienne... Brands between them and she thinks she needs to choose one and kill him quickly then out of nowhere a stone hits Shagwell in the head Brian doesn't hesitate then and lunges at Timian hacking his face and plunging Oathkeeper into his guts Timian still trying to fight her grabs for his dagger in his belt and Brian hacks off his hand thinking that one was for Jamie um, finish it Send me back to Dorn, you bloody bitch. And she did. <laughs> Shagwell, meanwhile, is getting pummeled with rocks by Podrick. Um, he he yields, and Brienne tells him to dig a grave. And he's uh, this guy. He's he still gets mercy in a mm-hmm. in a way from Brienne, and he's still like a complete dick. He says, "Why bother? Leave them for the crows." <laughs> Brand says Timian and Pig can feed the crows. Nimble Dick will have a grave. She makes Shagwell dig until his hands are blistered. Picking up Nimble Dick, she looks at his face and thinks that, you know, it's hard to look on. She apologizes for not trusting him, saying she doesn't know how to do that anymore. As she is turned, she has a moment where she thinks this is where Shagwell will make his move. Pod cries out, as he does, um, Brienne is ready, and she has her dagger in hand. Then she repeatedly stabs him in the guts, telling him to laugh each time. And uh, she s- realizes, you know, as she's repeatedly stabbing him, that she's crying. She throws her knife down and proceeds to bury Nimble Dick, tossing her promised uh, two golden dragons in his grave. And that is when she is interrupted by Heil Hunt, sent by Tarly to keep an eye on her in case, you know, she were to find Sansa. Heil tells her not to worry, though. He doesn't mean her any harm, and this makes Brienne snore as if he could cause her harm. He asks her what she'll do. Brienne decides to pursue the Hound, who may have Sansa, and head to River Run. And Heil tells her, he'll kill you, and she says, or I'll kill him. She then asks Kyle to help her finish bearing Dick. Goodbye, Nimble Dick. And that brings us to the end. There's this chapter. <laughs> oh my God. It, it felt like three chapters, this chapter. <laughs> it was longer. Yeah. Actually, I, I, I noticed the page count was quite a bit longer. I don't know how many words it was. Um, there's a lot that just happened. So uh, we got to talk about the fact that the grave that, that she had, uh, Shagwell dig for Nimble Dick is actually under the re- Weirwood. She tells him to go dig oh. it by the Weirwood. Um, so there's this whole theory, and I think we talked about it on the first reread of these chapters. If you want to go re-listen to that episode and get really into it, but there's a theory that Brienne has actually made a sacrifice to the Weirwood by um, killing these guys in front of the tree, and then the blood sacrifice, and then throwing in the gold as well. Oh. That she's bought some lives maybe from the old gods. It's a whole. There's a whole theory. You can look it up or you can go try to listen to our old episodes. 
Um, I don't know. I think it is a good theory when you think about the, I love it. Yeah, the I, Russian, I love it. Russian release of Feast with the, her final chapter with the crows and everything. It kind of does make sense. Mm-hmm. Um, so then the second thing is, I mean, God, Bran is such a fucking badass. So we've already covered in this chapter how she got her revenge on all the guys with the bat and everything. And like, these are other guys who did even something even worse to her and that they kidnapped her and Jamie and they cut off Jamie's hand and they threatened to rape her for, it seems like weeks on end. Um, and then really, really tried to do it. Um, and the whole chapter, she's been scared of Dick, scared of what he'll do. So cautious, you know, to only sleep while, um, you know, pods awake and watching cause she's terrified of this. She's terrified of, of being raped, of being attacked, you know, cause of what, what she went through with the bloody mummers. And, you have that whole buildup throughout this whole chapter. And then you get to the end where she literally kills three of these guys. Shagwell, one of the ones who was actually coming to actually rape her at one point. And it's just like, so uh, uh, cathartic and amazing. And I mean, if this doesn't turn you into a Brian fan, I don't know what will, I mean, well, I guess if no chance and no choice doesn't do it, but I mean, this All is right. so. <laughs> yeah. I can't help but thinking about that too, how we, get her in this this situation and then it happens again like mm. it seems it's like why 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 torture her why torture us <laughs> then i remember what series i'm reading right well at least she's still alive yeah and even at the end, you know, when she's, um, it's almost like, okay, she's still wait, like she waits for him to do something first before she wait, makes her move. I thought that was another little nod to her character that, you know, that she's obviously going to, he's going to be, he's going to get killed, but it's just, okay, I'm waiting for this moment. He's attacking me first and I'm going to get him. So I don't know. I thought they're just so hideous and just, oh, they're, they're one of the time. I mean, they're, you know, I always forget when I think of somebody like Ramsey, but they're just so horrific. Like there's no yeah. humanity. There's no, like you, you can't even, you couldn't do a backstory for like, Oh, okay. There's just something's missing from each of them. Yeah. yeah I dare you to try to sympathize with yes, these so guys. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Well, and it's like, we, we don't even, I don't even think these three were at the salt pans, but the horrors that they visited on the salt pans that we'll find out about in further chapters are just unspeakable. Yeah. I think what's interesting, too, about this chapter is um, it kind of really shows how calculating Brienne actually is. Like, she's mm-hmm. her, her, she's constantly strategizing. And um, it's even with, like, you mentioning Clotho with her thinking about, you know, this is when he's going to make his move. Like, she is, she is alert and prepared. And she's just, it's natural. Because I, I do get kind yeah. of wary some of people saying that Brienne is slower you know not necessarily that bright or it's not true like fuck you (laughs) it really isn't true well i mean you see how she's like suspicious of dick she's like he could be you know she she suspects everything is a trap but she thinks about it in smart ways about whether or not it might be and what might be happening you know i mean like she's actually pretty smart about it it's even like (laughs) going out here where she did i mean like you know this wasn't a bad thing to try. It wasn't, you know, I mean, like she, she had a decent lead. I mean, you know, she is trying really hard. I know people get frustrated because they're like, we know where Sansa is and we know where Arya is and we know she's never going to find him. And I, I do actually really get that criticism, but I mean, it doesn't mean she 
is an idiot blundering around. I mean, you know, she she's doing a pretty good job of following leads, and she actually just found out about Arya being with the Hound. Yeah, and, yeah. She, and he has to make it realistic. It's just from a story standpoint, like it, how I think it would be more that people say, "Oh, this is." Bo-. I would think it would be more boring if she just somehow conveniently was on the trail, you know, the correct trail from the start. I mean, you have to have moments like this if someone's, if this is what they're doing. They're traveling around with no, like, have no way of tracking these things. There's no, you know, you can say, oh, there's, you can send crows and things like that. But there's just, think about wandering around for weeks in a a sort of random direction. You know, you have this vague idea. I know. You have no Google Maps. (laughs) (laughs) Well, and I mean, We've seen how stupid it can be because the show did just that. The show had her actually run into Sansa at an inn once. And yeah. it was just like <laughs> mind-numbingly stupid. And you just were <laughs> banging your head against the wall. And even the show seemed to know that it was stupid because they couldn't let Sansa go with her then or it would have messed up their whole plot. I mean, it's just like, you know, people can't just randomly run into one another. That's crazy. I mean, once in a while, but not all the time. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> I will say to like, uh, reading this chapter again, uh, I definitely the first few times I kind of glazed over all the like the legends and the lore and the histories bit. But now I think I'm in a place where I actually I'm kind of like interested in these like little side uh, paths that George yeah. throws at us. I have the patience for it now. <laughs> yeah. I mean, what else do I have to look forward to? <laughs> Might as well yeah. dive deep. <laughs> Just may as well reread 85 times. <laughs> I assume we have mail with more questions about some of the stuff in here. Oh, so yes, I, yes. We have. Good segue. <laughs> yeah. Okay, so we have um, we have some, uh, the Jamie and Brienne Reddit, uh, subreddit. We have some comments from there. We have another one from, actually, from Guile, um, since, since she wasn't on this episode. I have the luxury of asking questions, too. I'd like to know what they think Galadin would have been like if they had, if he had lived, and how would Brienne's life be different if he had? Hmm. Well, she wouldn't be the heir. No. Mm. I don't know pressure. if that would be better for her or yeah. worse. A less pressure in that sense, but... Yeah, it, it actually would be less of a big deal that she does things like forsake her birthright and join King's Guards and things like that. Yeah, she'd just be like, he'd be expected to have a family and she'd be, oh, the kind of eccentric aunt that went off and... <laughs> yeah, she yeah. would be requirements anyway. Life might have been just a, a little bit, a touch bit easier. Less pressure. Might have been. She- wouldn't have had to put up with the grossness of all those guys that just wanted her for, you know, what they could gain from the marriage. Yeah, yeah, there would be no um, motive for things like, you know, high old fortune hunting her and stuff. You can't help but wonder, too, like, I mean, this is completely theoretical, but, you know, what if Galadin, you know, had been somebody she could have looked up to or... Would have been nice because she feels so like such a solitary character. Like she really is. Yes. Yeah. What would life have been like if she had had a sibling to confide yeah, in? To, and, I mean, you know, it's like you, you obviously want to go to the. Oh, I'm sure he'd be a great big brother, but you really yeah. don't know. You don't yeah. know. Yeah. He could have been an what you're going to get yeah, he with siblings. Yeah. <laughs> oh, yeah. It's nice in fanfic. I like it when. People have him alive in fanfic and do different things sometimes. Yeah. Mm. 
Yeah, because I didn't think about that. He could have made things more difficult for her, depending on how much of it. It really could have gone either way. Yeah. He could, he could have, yeah, he could have really made it difficult for her to ever learn how to use a sword. So, I mean, you, you really don't, you really don't know how it would have gone. All right, what else you got for okay, us? Okay, we got. Um, let's see your next one from Buck O'Hare. Is Brienne the best conduit for getting to grips with the small folk? People like Maribald, the captain's daughter, Nimble Dick Crab, aren't frightened or being tortured. They enjoy talking to her and telling her stories. The only comparison might be Bran and Old Nan. Also Galadin. Galadin of Warren. Galadin the perfect knight given a magic sword by the maiden. Galadin, who is Brienne's brother. Is he important? Am I ever hoping him? So another comment about Galadin. Um, uh, in my mind is a mirror or comparison to Brienne. Yeah, I, you know, I think it goes back down. There's so much that we don't know, like that what would have been with him. And um, I guess the first part... Uh, her as a conduit yeah. to the small folk. Yeah. yeah the, well, yeah. I, I mean, as much as we say it, her chapters are yeah. more than just that, it certainly is that as well. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I think in some ways, Brienne is kind of a good conduit, despite being, you know, so high born because she does have a lot of empathy and she does kind of see how people are affected. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and she she's willing to give anyone a chance. You know, I mean, it's like we were just talking about with Shagwell. I mean, she waits till, you know, she's not Han Solo. She doesn't shoot first. She waits until, you know, somebody gives her a reason to to hurt them or anything like that. And I, you know, she, I think she kind of gives people a fair shake. So she is a good person to kind of pay attention to, to all her, folk. Yeah, like with the conversation um, with Crab when, you know, the moment when she says, oh, yeah, you know, everybody has heroes in their area like she doesn't kind of I, you know I feel condescend she, yeah she could have yeah. been a total jerk about that and like you know been snarky or anything and she was just like okay yeah we have that too and i mean i don't know she just seems like uh, i think once people give her a chance she seems like she's easy to talk to in that sense that people would as we get in the next chapter with open up with her and I love too the moments where she has it's obvious she has like a sense of humor even though she like doesn't much care for the people she yeah. might be hanging out with at that moment if they say something funny it can't yes. help but make her smile. And we have a we have a Podbean comment I don't think we've got one of those in quite a while um, from and I don't know how this is pronounced it's just G H H H Y W. So, thank you. Uh, <laughs> and um, love your podcast. They're funny and insightful, and a good place to turn to now that the travesty of what Game of Thrones became is over. This is a place for book Jamie and book Brienne. Exclamation! Hells, yes, it is. So it's a sweet comment. <laughs> thank you. Um, and our final piece of mail, uh, we have. Petty Thief says, Hey ladies and occasional gents, thanks for the continued fun and insight on the podcast. My husband and friends also thank you for saving them from rants they have very little interest in. I have a general question (laughs) about Jamie. Recently I was rereading and came across a line in Catelyn 8 of A Game of Thrones. And this is the quote. What chance would a 15-year-old boy have against seasoned battle commanders like Jamie and Tywin Lannister? What battles do you all think a knight of the Kingsguard has been commanding? Yeah, this is kind of an ongoing question, um, and uh, you know, it's it's kind of like <laughs> Jamie's uh, sword prowess. 
um, on one hand, George is very meta level telling us that, yes, indeed, he he is incredible with the sword, but we don't actually see a ton of him fighting. And it's the same with this battle commanding. I mean, he, he clearly does know a lot about combat. He does know a lot about command. Um, he makes a huge mistake, obviously, in in the first book in A Game of Thrones and gets, you know, ambushed by Rob. Um, but, uh, yeah, there, there is an implication that he's had experience. So the, the question is, you know, is it like during the Greyjoy re- Rebellion? Mm-hmm. Um, nothing specific is ever mentioned within the series about him doing anything in the Greyjoy Rebellion, though. But that's really the only big skirmish since Robert's yeah. Rebellion. Do you so think, like, only I mean, that... Tywin would have been trained? I mean, wouldn't Tywin sort of been... Oh, yeah. Is, you know, oh, he's he's been trained, and I think this is something that kind of gets lost, is that... Based. Yeah. yeah, well, this is something that gets lost. You know, part of the training for someone like Jamie, Jamie was Jamie was born to yeah. to lead, um, and maybe not personality-wise, well, a little bit personality-wise. Yeah, Tywin would have wanted him to, yeah. Tywin would have wanted him to. He would have been taught from the cradle. Mm-hmm. Um, a lot of the stuff, and we see this in Jamie's chapters. You see the things that Tywin has taught him, and the things that he knows. I'm sure he learned from Kevin and all of his family. Yeah. You know, I mean, he's he's been trained in military command, and he does know how to do it. I mean, you see him when he's around these military guys, and they all love him. They do whatever he wants. You know, I mean, like he he gets a lot of respect. So um, clearly, he has had some experience somewhere. George was not explicit about it, and is just kind of implying I it, mean, and you just have to accept it, I guess. Yeah. I mean, yeah, I mean, being trained is one thing, but specifically Catelyn says seasoned battle commanders. like James. Yeah, I, I mean, like, he must have. I mean, you know. I think well, the I, Greyjoy Rebellion is probably something, because he has that thought when he's, like, looking at his white book, like, well, gee, you know, uh, Barristan yeah, could have put something in there about he, that. He doesn't, no, he doesn't think about the Greyjoy Rebellion, though. I, I he never does. And it's so funny. That is exactly when he should have. I mean, like, I understand as a writer why this would slip through the cracks for George. He's juggling, what, 300 named characters and like even POV characters. <laughs> he's got like 20 some, you know, I mean, like there's a lot, there's a lot to remember at any given moment. I understand why it slipped through the cracks. It's just one of those things you have to accept that, yes, Jamie does have some battle command experience that we're not aware of from before the, the War of the Five Kings. And we just have to kind of like smile and nod and accept it. Maybe she had said battle season soldiers like Jamie and Tywin. That would have been more palatable. <laughs> yeah. yeah, that's all I got for you. <laughs> How about uh, is that it for mail? Yeah, anymore. That's it is that now. it? Oh, that is it. Okay. <laughs> well, I just want to. We didn't really talk about the Galadin of Morn that Buck t- asked about oh, yeah. um, earlier. The legend, the legend or her brother? The legend. The legend yeah. 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 Um. Which, you know, is is clearly something. There's this whole thing about the this legend from Tarth. Morn is on Tarth. Um, about this Sir Galadin who got a sword from uh, from the maid, as in the maiden of, you know, one of the godhead figures who fell in love with him and gave him this magic sword that he only used three times. And so there is a lot of theorizing because Brienne has only used Oathkeeper twice as of where we're at right now in the books that she may only use it three times. And I don't know that that's necessarily the case, but I'm um, just throwing it out there that it's a possibility. But yeah, there, there's clearly some sort of something being said there. Also the fact that, you know, since this is gender swapped <laughs> beauty and the beast, Jamie's kind of like the maiden and <laughs> gave her a magic sword. Yeah. Um, <laughs> obviously. Um, which beautiful. is really cool. Yeah. So beautiful. I think George is going somewhere with it, but I hate to, I don't even speculate what it might be. And I don't even speculate about whether she'll only use Oathkeeper three times because I certainly hope not. I hope it's a hell of a lot more. 
I hope she's buttering her bread in her old age with that sword. <laughs> right? <laughs> Slaughtering piglets? Yeah. For the bacon to go with the bread in the morning. Okay. Oh, no. All right. Uh, so that's it for our mail. Um, we do love getting your mail. So please send us any of your messages at close the door and at gmail.com. You can reach us on Tumblr at close the door and come here.tumblr.com. Follow us on Twitter at door podcast. Consider becoming a Patreon. Um, you can find us on Patreon. Please like, subscribe, review this podcast wherever you listen. And, um, I think that's it. Oh, yeah. We have a subreddit. Jamie Brienne. Check us out there, too. All right. Closing the door. Get out.